Hey, everybody. Welcome to Assorted Goods. I'm Dan Felton. Thank you for joining me again for this episode as we take another curious look at the world around us. I hope you're all doing well out there. And this episode, I've brought a friend for the first ever returning guest here on Assorted Goods. Joining me this episode is a longtime friend of mine, Carlo Trentadu. He's a teacher and football coach here in Canada and is someone who I love to bounce ideas off of. Carlo was a guest back at the start of COVID, and I wanted to bring him back on the show to get an update, a check-in, if you will, about the challenges of teaching at a time like this, digital literacy and technology in the classroom, how to have a keener eye for good information, and what all of this looks like during our current return to a new normal. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another good talk here on Assorted Goods. Assorted Goods is produced by Disinformed Media in association with Verboten Productions. Promotional support comes from the Always Up Network at DeanBlundell.com. All right, I want to welcome back my first ever returning guest here on Assorted Goods. He's an educator with a master's degree in educational technology who's worked with students both here in Canada and abroad as well. He's a damn good football coach. He writes a little bit here and there as well. He's an all-around great person who I am grateful to have been able to call a friend for many years now. Welcome back, Carlo trying to do to Assorted Goods. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, buddy. You make me sound like I'm just some expert at something, but I'm not. And that was a totally fake voice. Don't, don't give the game away after right away when we're just getting started. I'm just a buddy of yours, and we're going to have a chat. That's, yeah, that's a fair way to put it for, for listeners that, you know, this is a casual conversation, but we got interesting topics to get into. We do, you know? we do. So it's good to see you again. Again, thanks for coming back. How 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 things been of late? How are you keeping busy these days? Man, things are yeah, things are great. Things are great. A lot of stuff going on here. Um, man, where do I start? Like we were chatting about this earlier. Got a wedding coming up in July, mm-hmm. taking up a lot of my time here. Um, she's doing a great job. I'm doing the best I can to support. You know, that's typically how it goes. But right where the credit um, is due, of course, right? Yeah. So so uh, that's keeping us busy. Um. You know, I was telling you before as well, it's been like, kind of hit me this morning. It's been almost a year, a little bit, a little bit less than a year since I was last on with you. And uh, by that time, I think it was, I was just finishing that master's degree and it's been about 12 months since. And I'm just trying to keep busy and read new things and challenge myself new ideas. And, you know, that's where that sort of writing came from. And yeah, I'm doing, man. Football takes up a big chunk of time as well from September to uh, December. and a great season last year. I was really happy with it. You're a busy man. You're a busy man. I'm glad I I'm glad I could fit you in for a moment for this. But I wanted to have you back on because you know our first conversation. You know we we got back into there a lot of the challenges that you were you know facing as a, as an educator and as a football coach and all that. And I think that's why I really liked having a conversation with you then. I wanted to bring you back sort of for an update as we sort of navigate the return to normal or what mm-hmm. resembles a return to normal. So what are some of the differences between those early days of the pandemic and, and now, now that we've been through it for a couple of years in terms of, like I said, the strategies, the processes, the, the interactions that you have with students, what's, what's changed over the course of this, this, these two years? So, you know, you think, you think back to the early days, you think back to the early days and I just remember, you know, on a personal level, was, I, I don't know about you, but I was like Lysoling my groceries. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I was taking the groceries in and it was, just, you know, Sarah and I were just Lysoling them, like wiping them down. And I look back and I wonder, it's like, what was the rationale for that? But well, we didn't you know, know, right? We didn't know at that time, thing. right? That's where I'm going with that, right? It's because like we, no one really knew. Yeah. No one really knew what was going on. There was, there was just like this kind of bombarding of, of uncertainty and like fears, a lot of fear. Yeah. Uh, and it's totally understandable, but like you think back on it now, you're like, wow, that's such a different time when you want to apply that to education. There's, there's, I mean, there's so many, so many changes that have occurred in the past few years. I think the most obvious shift would probably be having the kids back in a physical learning environment, at least for me. Right. Um, you know, when in the early days, again, we didn't know much about it, the whole asynchronous, synchronous learning dynamic, it was great for the time being. I think it was a great uh, fix all for the time. Um, but I mean, in my experience over the course of these past, these past two years, it's just, it's simply, 
not the way, not the most effective way to learn through middle school and high school. Um, You know, it's, it was a great fix for the time, but it's, I think now having them back in in, in a physical learning environment, there's just so much more. There's so much relationship building between the kids, between me and them, between each other, just the community. Right. I think that was the biggest piece that was taken away was the community. You know, and what have you noticed about the way your students have, have handled the process? I mean, like you said, when we, when we first talked, it was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, misinformation and all that kind of stuff. What are you noticing two years in now about, about how your students are, are handling this and navigating this situation? Yeah, well, you know, they're, they're, they're resilient. Kids are resilient. Um, in my experience, the kids that I have are very, very resilient. And some of them need motivation. Some of them need, some of them need to be guided. Um, you know, when you think about when I first got back into the school, like physically back into the school, I had a new set of kids coming up from, from grade eight. And you could t- kind of tell when they first came in, there was a bit of lack of knowledge. There's definitely, definitely uh, an impact made with what they learned and what they did not learn while they were spending yeah. time online. But I think ultimately, like, I'm not ent- entirely sure we can look back and say, like, we need to make up all that was lost. I'm not entirely sure we can make anything up at this point. I think ultimately, students, they're going to catch up. Content-wise, they're going to catch up. They, We are living in a time where you have knowledge at your fingertips. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You have the equivalent of a space rocket in the 1960s in your pocket, technology-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Right? If you want to learn something, you can learn something. So I don't really, I think at this point for me, I don't feel that we need to make up anything in terms of content knowledge. It's the social piece. It's the community piece. Teachers, I think these these days, and I think this is fairly well established at this point, but it's not about, you know, really spewing and, and, and trying to regurgitate content knowledge. It's more about being a dynamic relationship builder right now. So what are some of the ways that, you know, as an educator, you've tried to support students through all of this, different techniques, different tips? Honestly, I think, you know, obviously put just being back physically in the classroom with one another is a huge step. I think a lot of that stuff comes naturally when you're just in front of somebody, when you're together, when you're working collaboratively in a group for a task or having to overcome some type of problem. Um, I think that naturally some of that community piece, that the community piece is there. As as a as a coach and someone who facilitates a sport, I think having yeah. that back in the picture too is an absolutely key key uh, circumstance for a lot of these kids. Like, you know, a lot of that stuff was taken away yeah. over the last two years. You couldn't. There was no organized sports. There was no competition. There was no, you know, yeah. it's just simple lifting as a team in the uh, in the weight room. Yeah, a lot of that stuff is taken away. Um, and so I guess, you know, basically basic technique is just relaying or relying, I should say a little bit more on some, um, experiential style learning, right. Kind of get, you know, they, they've been sitting in front of a screen for two years trying to learn yeah. something. Let's get them, let's get them up. Let's get them moving, uh, working in a group collaboratively. Um, yeah. you know, it's a basic, basic strategy like that. It's something that I've just sort of embraced with the past little while because we didn't get much of it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think there are going to be sort of effects on students and on young people who have been through this? I mean, it's like you say, it's such a critical social development period of your life beyond just knowledge of, of curriculums and stuff like that. Do you think there's something that, that these students will, will have to overcome or deal with having been through this? Yeah, I do. Um, I'm not entirely sure what it is, but yeah. You know, again, we were kind of joking before uh, we we pressed the record button here, but you might get slapped with one of those uh, Spotify misinformation labels. But, you know, <laughs> for me, it's again, it's not about the content knowledge or the any of that kind of stuff. To me, it's I'm, I'm concerned a little bit to kind of explore the scars that were left yeah. by some of the policies that were implemented over the past few years. Um, I, I can't help but wonder how some of them have impacted the growth uh, or the development of young people. 
Um, there's a lot of different examples I can, I could use. I think, you know, the one that you see the most often is the mask. I understand like, you know, when we were to first, the rationale for the mask was, you know, covering your face would limit the spread of, uh, of airborne diseases, so on and so forth. Oh, sure. Adds up. I'm behind it. I get it. Makes sense. I'm on board. Um, at a certain point, I think, you know, especially considering we're two years in now, maybe a little bit more, I think it's valuable to start maybe reassessing the value of some of the policies and restrictions, limitations right. that we've put in just to make determinations about whether or not the, 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 the outcome or the intended outcome outweighs some of the potential detriments. Yeah. What are we doing negatively? Like I think when it came to young elementary students who are learning or ESL kids who are learning languages, there's a really, really big um, obstacle for them you know, 80, I think it's 80% or something along those lines of human, human communication is through facial expression. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think, you know, it's, I'm not saying I'm for or against, I'm just, I'm a thinker, man. Yeah. I'm, you know, it kind of goes into what we're talking about earlier with digital literacy, just questioning things. Like it's not that I disagree. I just, I want to know the rationale. I want to learn deeper about these things. Right. Well, what I like about what you said is, is, you know, Whenever that debate, I hate to even use the word debate in regards to that, is that it it turns into that sort of all or nothing principle, right? And that I think why we've, I I agree with you. I think one of the reasons why sort of public health policy has been so, um, it's been such an arduous process to get into this is because of the unhelpful, I guess, addendums to to the subject. You know what I mean? That, That the debate, in, in regards to school hasn't been about the worries of, of the development of say reading social cues and stuff like that. It's been more of like a, a, a ideological sort of abstract debate mm-hmm. about freedom mm-hmm. and Liberty and all. And it's like, but that's, those are, those are, you know, creative concepts. It's like arguing over how you interpret a painting. It's like, I like the fact that your, your critique of it is based on something, uh, based on an aspect that is, that is concrete. It's about balance. It's about finding that balance between uh, positives and negatives, detriments and safety. Sure. Right. And I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, there, there's, there's something you said about certain public health policies or just policies in general, whether they be anything like administrative yeah. policies, fill in the blank. There, there's, there's something to be said about policies being dogmatically followed without right. truly understanding the purpose. If I, if anyone can understand the purpose, by all means, I'm behind it, yeah. right? But I just feel like it's important to be, be to be skeptical and 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 ask questions, not disrespectfully or not in a way yeah. that indicates you disagree or you're trying to debate and argue. Just I'm trying to to gain uh, a deeper insight. I'm trying to to, to depth of inquiry, right? And you're invested in as as an educator, obviously. I mean, you work with young people every day. It's your job. It's, it's a central piece of your life. You know, it's your interest is in that's, that's where your interest seems to lie, right? Is your interest is you want what's best for these people to, to develop and grow and, and become members of society that, that are equipped with the right tools. For for me, the other thing too, is you're talking a little bit about, um, you know, you know, the creative sort of, sort of piece you mentioned. I just feel like there was a lot of hypocrisy as well that fueled some of that skepticism. Um, and so, you know, I, not just for me, I mean, I'm, I'm talking more along the lines of, of, of community of, of, of a society. There's a lot of, well, there was, and I think there may continue to be a little bit of hypocrisy out there. And it just, it just serves as well to question, ask questions and, and dig a little deeper. It's what this podcast is all about. Most times, you know, listen, if I'm lying, call me out. Over two years, I, I think one thing we've all encountered is, is the risks of the misinformation and disinformation and digital literacy, which how, how much of a lesson have we had in that over the past two years of, of how easy it is to mislead, how easy it is to, to sort of emotionally evoke responses from people based on, based on a topic. Seems like you can do it with everything these days. What are some of the ways that you approach topics of digital literacy with students? Things like fact checking about like you said, being skeptical and, and being reasonable about sources and, and varieties of sources, avoiding confirmation bias. I mean, how is that something that you approach when you interact with students? 
There's two things that I feel should we should start shifting to incorporate. And one of them is financial literacy. Yeah. And the other is digital literacy. I've been really fortunate to have the opportunity at um, my particular school to start to develop a course that revolves around digital literacy. Um, and so, you know, I've been working on this over the past year. It's still very, very, very fluid. There's still a lot of things that I need to work on. There's still a ton that I need to continue to build. So, it, I mean, this is the first year I've taught it. It's very preliminary, but I'm happy that we have it off the ground. Um, and, you know, you're talking digital literacy here. So I kind of divided it into two categories, the conceptual and the practical. So the practical is pretty straightforward. It's literally, it's literally being able to, I mean, it's, you're being literate online. And I think there was a post that I wrote about recently about the expanding definition of literacy. Um, traditionally, when we think of literacy, we think of reading and writing, we think of speaking. Um, and while all that is still true, I think today, um, there's an expanded sort of contingent of skills that you need to have to, to be considered literate, so to speak. Uh, and some of that is, you know, it could be as simple as being able to uh, understand how to format a Google Doc or yeah. put together a slideshow, uh, all the tools that are available to you in those applications, editing video, being able to Photoshop, yeah. a little bit more um, of uh, sophisticated literacy. But those are things that, practically speaking, on a literate level, um, we can start teaching. On a conceptual level, being able sort of the, 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 the things that you're mentioning, um, critical reading, uh, sourcing different things, exploring multitude of different sources. Again, the, the idea that we spoke about before we jumped in here was um, I'm starting to get to a point where there's a lot of literature that I put over here because I really uh, resonate with it. And then there's a, a bunch of other stuff that I really don't resonate with. But I'm being intentional about diving into the things that I'm really not um, for really not necessarily agree with just so I can wrap my head around completely that sort of side of the argument. Um, and it's, it's, if you want to boil down a lot of these digital literacy skills, it really comes down to questioning, it comes down to inquiring, it comes down to exploring. You have to be able to do the work, um, to challenge something that you read. Yeah. Uh, or something that you think, especially in today's world. I think it could not be more important than ever before than it is uh, today. There, there's, a, there's a technique that I like to teach the boys. Uh, it's called lateral reading. Uh, it's really straightforward, super easy. If you open a book or you open a website or you're reading something, typically we read top to bottom, right? Today, because there's so much out there and there's so much information, I try to get them to open as many tabs as they can. And they try in each one of those tabs, you're sort of reading from tab to tab. And each one of those tabs could have a number of different um, opinions on a spectrum, right? So you're kind of challenging different ideas and you're looking at the holistic picture of things. Um, and I feel like it's a pretty basic strategy. It's really fundamental, but it does serve to help, I think, a little bit. Um, when you're just reading a bunch of stuff online, you know, the other day I was, um, I came back from March break, one of the boys, and there was a big group of boys that happened to be in Hawaii. And I, I got fooled. I, I truthfully, I'll tell you the truth. I got fooled the other day online because I saw this post. I can't remember where it was. Um, about there was, um, like an emergency text message right. that was sent in Hawaii because, um, someone had made a mistake. There was like an incoming missile or something. Oh, like I remember that. that. Yeah. I remember, remember hearing that? about that. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. So I'm asking these boys like, Oh, did you get this message? Like I saw online, there was a message sent. They're like, no, I didn't get any of that. I had to go back. That was the anniversary. Yeah. Of when that <laughs> sent four years go. ago. Yeah. There you go. Right. So it's just simply, it's, you just can't gloss things over. You really and it's amazing go. how, how easy it is to, to have that right. That like to, to half see a headline or something like that, or, or if the headline was actually written that way where it wasn't, by the way, this was four years ago that it creates like a certain, a, a piece of information that's embedded in certainty that like, well, I saw that. So 
it's a thing. And it's like, well, no, mm-hmm. it happened four years ago, but it, it's how easily something can, can just pop into your brain and then just sit there and be like, that's oh, a thing I know now. It's as simple as that. Simple as that. And you know what? It, it's, it, it's building on what I'm talking about here because we don't read in depth online. We don't laterally read. Yeah. We don't read the whole article. We read the headline. Yes. And the headline is crafted in a way to yes. do that to you. It's yeah. crafted in a way to make you think and elaborate on your own without having read the information. Right. Your own ideas. The most, uh, from what my experience on the internet, the, the, the process of information and headlines for people is, is exactly that. Headlines and then the comments. Right. And it's oh, like, comments. you kind of miss the whole point if that's your case. Do you think that there is a danger to skepticism? Uh, uh, is there a fine line to walk between questioning and, and never being able to accept an answer or, or that skepticism can, can turn into confirmation bias that you become only skeptical of things that don't fall into the purview of what you're looking for. Is that, is that a risk? I certainly think that's a risk. And it goes back to what we said before about balance. It's about finding a balance. I think it's valuable to question. I think it's valuable to be skeptical, but there does need to be, certainly you're pointing out a, a great point. There does need to be a balance about, you know, you can't be skeptical for the sake of being skeptical. You need right. to be doing it for a purpose. And the purpose is to gain uh, a greater depth of, of understanding of inquiry. Right. Yeah. So no, certainly by, by all means, I think that there needs to be a balance. Are there any trends you've noticed about how the generations coming up are, are taking in information or how they're processing it? Are there, are there trends in, in, what resonates with them and and what they sort of gravitate to there i think that there are some alarming trends to be honest i mean i'm a guy that's always tried to to give both sides of the argument there are certainly positives um to the technology that we have to the to the digital worlds that we're we have we have access to or afforded to um social media there's certainly some positives embedded there as well but like anything like the balance uh there's a lot of negatives and you know one of the most alarming ones to me especially when it comes to social media is um the increase in uh suicide rate especially for teen girls right 77 percent of older teen girls it's suicide rates are 77 percent up in older teen girls they're up 151% for younger teens. So I'd say before 15 years old, I believe. And that's when you compare average suicide rates from 2000 to 2009. So within nine years. That's the precipice of, of apps on your phone, if I recall. Smart yeah, phone. it's when Facebook came to the phone. It was at that point. Right. So, I mean, it's, you talk about trends. That, 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 is, that is an alarming trend. Yeah, I don't have the statistics in terms of the um, in terms of the percentages, but I know that there are incredibly large increases in uh, anxiety rates, depression rates, particularly again amongst girls. Um, but that doesn't mean that boys are not are not included in that conversation. I think uh, right. you know, just anecdotally speaking, you know, we we have we have a, a whole wellness center now at our yeah. school to to kind of help with these types of issues so this is this is something that yeah it's trending upwards it's something that we need to really think about and address do you think in the education system that there needs to be um is there is there not enough resources for students to access in that regard i it's it's a difficult question because i think ultimately schools can supplement that help right but they are not primarily responsible i think the primary educator is the is the parent right primary educator is the parent and teachers and schools and educational institutions who can facilitate some of this support by all means yes i think that there certainly should be some direction and some focus when it comes to helping uh some of the kids that 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 fall into these trends we they spend most of their day at school so yeah absolutely there should be some help there but ultimately at the end of the day parents are the primary educators and I think that there is uh, a greater sort of depth of relationship that, that we can build between yeah. parents, teachers, and the education system um, that, can, that can 
I'm not going to say eliminate this issue because it's something that I think is going to stick with us for quite a while. Technology is not going anywhere. Yeah. Social media is not going anywhere. Um, it's not ever going to be eliminated, but we certainly need to learn how uh, to navigate some of these issues. And in terms of media outlets, I mean, the sources of information that people are drawing on these days, so much of it is coming from content creators, cough, cough, I technically <laughs> fall into that. Do you think there's a way, do you think there's a more effective way that we can educate young people on the types of, of information that they're getting? And do you think that media outlets are doing a good job of, of communicating information to young people? Or is it, is this more of a sort of take advantage to get the clicks kind of scenario we're in right now? This, this is a incredibly complex question. <laughs> You're welcome. So. Um, you know, firstly, do, do media outlets or these content creators or these social media companies, whatever you want to call them, do they have an idea of how, of what they're doing? No, they have it to a science. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's a, they understand the psychology behind this. They have this down to a science. So, you know, I don't think it's a, it's a single factor issue. I think there's a number of different moving parts here. I think you're right when you say that young people particularly trust people that they think or they resonate with. I also wrote an article similar to this um, using Albert Bandura's theory mm. of um, I think it's called social cognition theory. They, 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 that's why partially why influencers are so popular and um, you know, news outlets, government officials, so on and so forth. They're not naive to this. And I mean, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, there was something I read about. Um, there was a bunch of news about the war that's going on right now yeah. that was forwarded to content creators so that they could essentially, um, yeah propagate information on mass to uh, young, younger communities. So that in itself, conceptually speaking, is positive. The fact yeah. that you can reach that many people using those tools is, is, is fantastic. It's unheard of historically. Um, the, the, the challenge and the, and, and the issue becomes, you know, how do we know? It's a, skepti it's a skepticism piece, right? Yeah. What's the truth? There's going to be a bias there. How do we how do we look through the bias? How do we contend with um, what's true, what's half truth, and then yeah. what's not true, right? So I mean that's the challenge. It's 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 the critical thinking piece, the skepticism piece, and the 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 process itself, the, the companies and all that stuff. It's it's positive ultimately, but it's the way in which that we've we've sort of fell into these habits. Um, that can be that can be negative and detrimental to us. And do you think there's a sort of risk of an apathy from people that that you know one thing that I hear a lot, especially again since this conflict's broken out, this you know both sides are are lying, so it kind of does this like cancel each other out, null and void. Is, is there a risk in that sort of mindset of of being skeptical? Do you do you worry that maybe being skeptical leads to sort of this well? throw your hands up, do nothing. They're all bad kind of thing. How do you navigate sort of exactly like you said, distinguishing between different levels of, of say lying or, or misinformation and half truths and all that? How do you, how do you find that balance? That's a great question. I think if I had the answer to that, I'd be making some money. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think, I think the important word that you said was apathy. Apathy is something that is, Something you want to avoid. We talk about this with my boys at school. It's you can be ignorant of something, and ignorant means that you're just simply unaware, and you don't want to be ignorant. Ignorant is not something that you strive to be. Um, but apathy is worse because apathy, you are aware, but you've chosen not to care about it. Yeah. And I think that there is a risk of apathy, especially in the age of social media. I was, you know, it's funny because watching Dave Chappelle the other night. Yeah. And uh, he had a bit about um, he was calling out some younger people in the audience and he was kind of, you know, relating a story about his youth and there was something going on in his youth and it was a big, big deal. Like they heard about it. Um, oh, do you know what it was? It was the um, it was the spaceship, the rocket that took off. Can't remember what the name of it was. Apollo oh, the one in the 80s, the, the yeah, Challenger. That, yeah, the Challenger. Up, yeah. yeah, that was big news. He's mm -hmm. talking about that's it, big news. Like that was a big thing for us. We're all just crazy. It's like, wow, that is 
we just saw a rocket with people inside blow up. Yeah. And he was making sort of um, he was making sort of a comparison with today's day and age where you see that all online any day. You can see yeah. us blowing things up and blowing things up. And there's there's a degree of desensitization that's happened yeah. where, you know, it's attached to apathy. Um, it's like, oh yeah, I've I've seen videos like that before. Like, okay. You know, it's there's there's a disregard for it almost. Yeah. And and in terms of that, I mean, I know that's something that I've experienced in the last month and and not to act like poor me for seeing that, but I wonder, I sometimes wonder about the effects of seeing that stuff. Like in, in the first few weeks of this war, I've seen things on the internet I wish I had not seen, right? And that right. I that are stuck in my brain because you can't unsee things, right? Right. And I I wonder when for for especially for young people who when you're younger, you you really can't you can't put it into context. You can't sort of wrap your head around what you've seen. Is there is there sort of a risk in that now of, of not just apathy, but just failure to being able to process, you know, mm-hmm. it, to see something like that in your own life, we consider that a traumatic experience if, if somebody died in front of you. But to see a death, say, on the internet anytime at the touch of your fingertips, we don't treat that as an experience that needs to be processed and, and contextualized and, and worked through, do you feel sometimes that maybe this generation is coming up being exposed to, to things that are unimaginable and that maybe we're not doing a great job of, of helping them sort of work through those experiences? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's it's nail on the head. I think, I think you got nail on the head. Like personally speaking, I'm thinking about the time when I, um, I was on a service trip and I went to India and uh, we were there in a fairly um, very low income state, lots of desert. We were there helping build a school. And I remember telling the story when I get back from India, because India is just, it's a different world. I love India. I I go back in a heartbeat, Um, but it is a different world. And you see what that world is like online. You can go see pictures. You can go see videos. Um, but there is nothing like the feeling when you're there. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, you're talking about the risk of, of, um, you're basically talking about the risk of not experiencing what's real, right? You're, you're, you're experiencing these ideas. You're seeing these things online, uh, and you've processed it in a way that is for a lack of a better word, not real digital. Um, but there is something to be said about the physical nature and the physical uh, world around us. It's something that needs to be explored and needs to be experienced. Um, I'm not really sure if I'm answering your question. I don't really have the answer. There <laughs> certainly is a risk. This is why I like to talk to you is, is, you know, you've got, you, you've got your finger a little bit more on the pulse in this kind of stuff. And I, I, I'm curious in your day-to-day interactions, really. I mean, if, if there's trends, I mean, I, I think maybe parents, I, I have no children myself, but I wonder if parents maybe are also a little unaware of that, that, yeah, your kid maybe spends a lot of time on social media, scrolling through Instagram pictures and selfies and all that, but you can easily then scroll past the New York times and see something horrible. Mm-hmm. And then you just go about your day, you know, and it, it, it has to have an effect, right? It has to have some sort of residual runoff, I guess. The thing is parents didn't grow up in this age. Yeah. Right. So there, this is, we're living with a generation that this is the first time this has happened. And so I, 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 I have a hard time putting the, the full blame on parents. I don't want to put blame on them. Yeah, no, no one course. has lived through this age. No yeah. one has lived through the information age. We are living through it now. Yeah. And again, the theme of balance comes up again, because there are things that we need to learn as we continue to grow through this age. And then there are things that we can implement because we have learned um, something already. So we want we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We don't want it to get away from us because I do think that we're at a bit of a turning point here. I, I do think we're at a bit of a crossroads. And I, I don't really know if, if we know where we're going. Uh, and I don't blame people. I mean, it's a very difficult place, difficult time to navigate. But we are at a crossroads here when it comes to the digital world and the physical world. We are at a crossroads when it comes to how do we, you know, how do we support parents and students and schools and how do we how do we navigate putting a incredibly powerful device into the hands yeah. of 
of small kids. You know, it's the questions are endless. So far, not bad, eh? Just a couple of buddies having a chat, future podcast on the horizon. Hey, who knows? We're going to take a break and hear some messages from fellow podcasters who would love for you to give their shows a listen and add them to your rotation. And when we come back, more with Carlo Trenadu as we talk about the challenges of teaching students to navigate the digital space without losing their minds in the process, and also about Carlo's social experiment in the online community of Second Life, where he tried to figure out the social norms of a digital world. All that and more coming up. Assorted Goods will be right back. Hi, this is Scott, and welcome to my podcast, Observations from Life. In it, you're going to hear me talk about things that I've seen over the last 50 or so years of my life, and hopefully together we'll find a way to make this world a better place. It's really about spreading kindness and treating people well, and if you're looking for a spiritual path, finding one that really works for you. I hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Zach, host of the Belated Binge Podcast, and I'm here to try to convince you to join us as we re-binge some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I also happen to have nearly missed out on, like our current reread of the Harry Potter series, which, despite growing up through the hype, I somehow didn't read until I was in my mid-20s. That's the belated part. But now that I have, there's some of my favorite forms of entertainment, so we're going back, a chapter or two at a time, discussing world building, character motivations, plot holes, we theorize, we foreshadow, and we give away meaningless awards. That's the binge part. If you like Harry Potter and need an excuse to reread them, or just a distraction from your day job, you can listen anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't hesitate to join the discussion on the Belated Binge Podcast. Uh, please. And now, back to the conversation with my good friend, teacher, coach, and master skeptical thinker, Carlo Tredidu. In your experience through your own education and your experience in the education system, is there a disconnect between generations? Or, or do, you think in, do you think in terms of the education system, there are people who are maybe themselves not equipped to understand those concepts that, that maybe their kids have, maybe you, you're teaching a class full of kids who have all seen something recently that they can't process and 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 are having a hard time wrapping their heads around is is there a sort of a lack of perspective i guess is is what i would ask it's hard to say um i think that there are certain concepts and certain you know things that are going on right now that that are new they're very novel people aren't aren't sure how to navigate them um you know for example did you know that there was a um there's a so-called age of internet adulthood I, I did not know that. No. What, what is that age? You know what age? It's 13 years old. Wow. If you are 13 years old, in, in, digitally speaking, you, are, you have met the standard of internet adulthood. I think that's really young. I yeah. think that's exceptionally young. Um, personally, I think that, you know, it's, I think puberty is a big thing in, in, in young people's lives. And I think that needs, that is a milestone. Um, yeah. In, 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 in my opinion, where uh, they begin to transition into adulthood. Um, and maybe we need to think about raising that uh, age of internet uh, adulthood. When you say internet adulthood, what, is that, what does that entail necessarily? Well, you know, so for example, like, and it's very easy to navigate around because there's some apps or some websites, mostly apps that require you to be a certain age to use, right? right? But that doesn't stop people from using them. All you need to do is put a different birthday in, and now all of a sudden you're 21. Right. So there's got to be, not only do we raise that, but there needs to be some sort of, I think, I mean, I've been kind of thinking deeply and brainstorming about some of the things that, that we can potentially think about doing here. Um, but how do you enforce that? Like, what, 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 is, what is the enforcement method? I think a long time ago when I was going through that master's, I think like, the biggest thing for me that I recognized was the anonymity online. Yeah. The more you feel anonymous, the more you feel you can get away with something. Yeah. Use the example of, um, you know, you, you ever play Call of Duty? Of course. 
course you do. So, you know, yeah. when you, someone, you know, you, 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 you got to respond. There's like that, like five second period where someone can speak to you. The guy, sure. you can speak. Yeah. How, what, tell me what those conversations are like. Uh, it's a, it's a, you know, a hotbed of intellectual, you know, idea sharing really. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Like some of the language on there is atrocious. Some yeah. of the things that are being said on there, just, you wouldn't say to someone in real life. Go back to what you said earlier about comments, YouTube comments, Twitter comments. There's a degree of anonymity there. And because there is a perception perception of uh, being anonymous, they feel like they can say whatever they want. How do you you regulate that? Like, it's such a complex, multi-factored answer solution. I don't know what it is. And are these things that you talk about? I mean, is there any sort of suggestion of this in, in classrooms and in, in, in the education system? Is there any conversations being had about online decorum and, you know, the, the etiquette and how to talk to people? Is that something or is there a blind spot there in terms of education? And we're just kind of leaving it up to people to log in at whatever age and start to figure it out themselves. I, I can't speak for the whole system itself. I can speak for my classes and I can, I can speak for my school. I know that we are addressing those types of things. And I'm fortunate to have the opportunity to do that in that, in the course that I've been developing. Um, there is, I mean, considering it's a denominational school, there's, there's, right. there's some piece of, uh, you know, morality there as well, being a moral person, making good decisions, treating other people properly. Right. Um, so I think that's got something to do with it too. I mean, elsewhere, I'm not really sure. I know that there is a focus on it, um, but yeah, I mean, we, I certainly address it. Um, whether whether that's taken or not, whether those yeah. are put into action or not is a different question, but they certainly know about it. You're, uh, you're up against a serious force in the internet, I'd say. I, I know that, you know, <laughs> I, it's a losing battle, but we're going to try anyways. Absolutely. Now, now, Carla, you also have a blog where you, you've begun to do a little writing and, and pen some pieces of your own, which which I will post a link to with this episode. But the, oh, the website nice. is com. I mean, yeah. no, there's no man with the same name out there who who got you beat you to it. eh? that's right. <laughs> now, I, I, your most recent piece that you wrote, I, I made sure to check before for the episode. And I really liked it. And, and for the listeners, you know, Carlo here, he wrote he wrote a piece about second life which, you know, if anybody's not familiar with it, it's an online community, kind of like the, the original metaverse, as we were talking about before we jumped on here, uh, you know, digital avatars navigating sort of social settings and all that. You experimented with venturing into Second Life and, and you tried to navigate the sort of social norms mm-hmm. of it. And then you analyzed how it worked. And it, it, it's a fascinating piece. Did, did the experience of going through that and writing this article and, and, and sort of trying to figure that out in a digital space change or, or impact any of your sort of understandings of social norms in, in the physical world and in the world that we all live in? So let me start, I'll start with the blog. So, you know, I, I kind of started this blog when I finished the master's and it was primarily because I just didn't feel like I was done learning. Mm. I just wanted to keep learning about stuff. And I really enjoyed the fact that in that master's, I could kind of bounce ideas and sort of debate with people all over the world. Um, and I learned a lot from that. It was probably one of the highlights of that, that whole, um, experience. So I kind of wanted to just keep doing something that would keep me engaged yeah. in reading new things or challenging ideas, sort of what we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, so that's where that kind of came from. And, um, oftentimes there'll be something in there that kind of spurs a, a conversation with a colleague or somebody that I know. And that's really the point. I can just generate discussion with people about, yeah. Uh, education and about how um, social media or technology or like all those intersections, how do they, why are they significant? How are they impacting us? And so, yeah, I mean, I was working with Second Life a long time ago. Um, I had written um, an article in the International Handbook of E-Learning, and it was about essentially it was really preliminary when the, in the, in the first days of second life, well, maybe not the first days, but <laughs> considering where we are now it was very early. Right. Um, and it was about kind of social capital, being able to engage with people, the potential with second life to, um, in terms of just amalgamating with education, augmented reality and stuff like that. And, uh, so I kind of revisited that, um, recently and I just jumped into sort of this world where there was a live concert. 
live concert in this digital world. And it's so crazy to me because I'm thinking like, is this really live? In a sense, it's live because the guy's at home is playing music to us, but I am not there. So this really cool sort of like philosophical debate I have with myself about like, what is going on here? Yeah. How do people know about this? And does this have the potential to grow? Um, and so I did a bit of analysis and just kind of observing people, how they communicated on there. I thought it was really interesting how obviously their avatars, I know, you know, quite a bit about the, the metaverse. I don't, I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to claim epistemic humility here and just say <laughs> that I don't know anything about the metaverse. Epistemic uh, humility. That might be the title of the episode for us. <laughs> I guess not my word. That's not my word. I, it's got sad. I gotta, I gotta quote him on that. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I jumped in and analyzed some of the behavior. I thought it was interesting, like the avatars being able to mimic real life sort of um, yeah. emotion, dancing. I thought it interesting how, um, you know, while some people may not have prescribed to that mode of communication, they would literally type in actions so on in right. the, uh, the local chat. So there was, um, yeah, there was a number of kind of mirrored social concepts that happen online and in the real world. And I'm still kind of learning and observing some of the things that happen on there. But, you know, ultimately speaking, you're asking me about, um, is there anything there that translates into real life? I was curious if there's some sort of lesson to be learned in that about, about navigating sort of social cues and, and uh, different ways of communicating that, that are different from the ones that you employ in your day-to-day life. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. You're, you're absolutely right. I, lo- I love that. I love that comparison about like, you know, you're, you're, you're comfortable, the culture that you're comfortable with um, may be disrupted completely if you're entered into a new culture where you have no idea how to navigate. Um, And, you know, you know, basically manifested in that India example I gave you when I was there, culture is completely different. I would say, yeah, certainly the same thing for online. I mean, when you, when you use second life, I think you mentioned you've used it before. Um, many years it, ago. Yes. But many, many years ago. Yeah. I mean, it, it is when you don't know what's going on, if you just sort of log in, it is exceptionally difficult to figure out what am I supposed to do? How do I move around? What are these seemingly infinite amount of buttons in front of me do? Um, it is a big, big learning curve. Absolutely. And so that in itself is throwing your is baptism by fire. You're throwing yourself into a, a, a digital culture online that you need to navigate and figure out if you want to survive. Yeah. And that concept is the same in real life. Right. Right. Um, now, I would say that you are best, you are well served to have some type of mentor uh, if you were, if you're going to jump into Second Life. There should be someone there just to kind of give you a brief tutorial yeah. about, because it's not a game. There's, there's, there's no, there's no goal in, in games. You have a goal. There's something you need yeah. to accomplish. There's, it's, it, there's no goal. It's, it's a world or I should say worlds uh, where, uh, where you can just explore and those worlds have a multitude of things available to you. You can go to some really, really X-rated stuff, some really <laughs> questionable places you can go to on there, but alternatively, yeah. you could also go, you know, visit the library of Congress if you wanted to. Yeah. And you could access materials that are in the Library of Congress. So, like, there, there is so much uh, available and afforded to us there. When it comes to, like, social norms, you know, I really want to get philosophical about this. I, I feel like there's a question that needs to be asked about, I mean, going back and connecting to what we spoke about earlier with this new sort of this ever-evolving culture that we're living in. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a question that needs to be asked about identity and there needs sure. to be a question to be asked about to what degree, because on second life, you can be whatever you want. Yeah. L- like literally, yeah, you can be, you can be a human being and you can pick your race, ethnicity, whatever you want. You could be a, you know, you fill in the blank. You yeah. can be like a vampire. You can be a monster. You can be an alien. You can be a, literally the the options are endless. You can be a cowboy. You can you know fill in the blank. Yeah. There are so many things that you can do and be. I should say there are so many people you can be online 
even outside of Second Life, considering the anonymity. Sure. Yeah. I wonder to what degree that translates to our current culture. Do you think, do you think that the ability to explore those things online maybe might translate to people considering the exploration of their own identities in the real world? I, do, I don't, I don't think that that is the only thing that's motivating uh, that sort of idea, but I can't help but wonder if that plays a part. A bit of a sort of like the digital world is allowing people who maybe would have been pigeonholed by their say parents or upbringing or environment or communities. It's giving them an opportunity to explore in ways that they've never had access to before. So to right. speak. Right. And, and I, again, like you said about the library of Congress thing, I thought that was really interesting because you know, again, Second Life's been around for 20 years, but it's an interesting analysis because it seems that the technological world is deciding to go in that direction full-fledged. So do you think that there is a lot of potential maybe in, in you know, even in education that in the same way that we can allow people to explore themselves, we could also allow them to explore interactive experiences that are beneficial for, for their education? Is there, do you see there being a future where, you know, AR, VR, that kind of stuff being integrated into education? Yeah, this is a tough one for me because like the technologist in me says, absolutely. Like it's really exciting. There's so many possibilities that we can sort of start evolving AR, VR stuff. I, I, I think that there's tons of potential there. And I think that there will be some, some uh, progress in that area in the years to come. So the, the, the technologist in me is really excited about that. And, but the skeptic as well, right? Right. <laughs> right. Starts questioning, you know, the relational piece. How do you forge relationships the same way that you do in person online? Yeah. Is that possible? Um, it is possible to some degree. Is it the same? Um, you know, what are we doing to to education if we go that way in a complete? We're just putting all our eggs in that basket, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a tough one to answer. I'm kind of on the fence on this. And I always tell my boys not to be on the fence. Pick a side. You're allowed <laughs> to change sides. If you have an argument, make the, you're allowed to change. You can change your mind, but you're not allowed to be on the fence. So I'm kind of going against my own advice here. But. <laughs> Clip that out and send it to your kids there, right? It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> but I, th I think it's a really interesting, uh, an interesting concept there is, is that maybe I'm trying to get ahead of the argument I've been having the whole time. You know, I'm asking you about, you know, do, do maybe older educators or members of the education community struggle to relate to new generations. Maybe I'm trying to get ahead of the fact that in 20 years, we might be sitting here going, I can't understand this metaverse education these kids are getting now. Uh, and, and I think that's, why I found the article you wrote really interesting is that you, you analyzed the community through sort of uh, sociology concepts and psychology concepts and, and social norms and that kind of stuff, the way that those pieces of the world we never think about have to be applied in a digital space in right. a way that, I mean, we've done a very bad job of, of that in 20 years of the internet and now social media. I guess I wonder I guess with the philosophical wanderings of my own brain is, is what will that be like as this becomes a more ingrained part of our world for, especially for young people. Like you said, if we're already at Instagram, you know, turning young girls psychologies on their head, no pun intended, obviously, but yeah. what, what would a, what would a, a fully integrated, you know, VR, AR metaverse experience be like for a generation growing up where, you know, if we don't, if we don't adequately address the problems we've already experienced with all this technology, are we just setting ourselves up to have it even worse in the future? You know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to say about, you know, it's, it's hard to say we're setting ourselves up for worse. There is an optimist in me somewhere sure. that's saying yeah. we're going to figure this out um, and it's going to be all right. Um, but it's a difficult question. It's a difficult question. You know, ne neurologically speaking, there are certain rewirings, uh, that are, are, are occurring right now in our young people. Um, I always reflect on sort of our generation and like the, the, the prevailing guidance right now is sort of like yeah. 1995, 1996 yeah. is the year where, uh, that generational divide starts. 
So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of debate and talk about that right now. And that's like the sort of Gen Z or some people call it iGen. Right. Um, just because they were born with, with so much of this technology, just ready to go. Um, but I remember like when, when we were kids, I remember when like Facebook first came out and like we, I was in high school, it was probably yeah. around grade eight, maybe grade nine. Yeah, I think I got it. Start of grade 10 was where I signed up. And, but you had to be invited by somebody. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't just go in there and open up an account. You had to be invited. Right. Right. So I was, I just remember and I reflect back to like growing up fairly technologically free and then right around that time, maybe like early 2000s, late 2000s, yeah. there's sort of like this shift. So we're kind of on that fringe, right? We're kind of on that fringe. And it's just an interesting perspective to have because, yeah. like I said, it's, it's, it's the optimist, but it's also the skeptic. It's the balance you need to find between the two. Are we like harming? We obviously are harming people if, if like I said, the trend in suicide rates are going up. That's yeah. an issue. But the connectivity that we have across, like globally speaking, mm-hmm. is, is unheard of. Historically speaking, we're living in a time we've never lived in before. Right. Yeah. So there's, where do we draw the line? Where do we balance this all out? Yeah, it, this is the theme that I think I've I've come to here. It's like, where like let's take the good, let's yeah. take the bad, let's try to keep the good, and let's try to limit the bad. <laughs> How do we do that? How do we do that? Yeah, it's difficult. Well, I, I I think people like you who are who are you know pursuing the education for yourself in order to educate in the next generations even better. I think I think that's very important. It's one of the reasons why I want to talk to you again was to get pick your brain more about something that I think you're, you're very knowledgeable in and that you're only going to get better at. So here's an, example. here's an example that I've been kind of throwing around lately. Yeah. TikTok. Sure. I don't have TikTok. <laughs> I don't plan on getting TikTok. Yeah. I know TikTok is very popular with um, the youth right now. Yeah. TikTok is a place where they're learning how to dance. And they're learning how to become content creators and they're learning how to, you know, waste hours and hours and hours school just watching for the most part, mindless things. Yeah. Okay. Now I don't know if you're aware, but like, so uh, I think uh, TikTok is, is originally uh, originated in China. I think I know where you're going with this, but yes. Do you know how China regulates their TikTok? Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, China regulates TikTok by only pushing content that is educational right. for the most part, for the most yeah. part. It's science fairs and it's physics lessons and it's all this different stuff. Also, what China does is they have a time limit on the, app, on the amount of time that you can yeah. watch or use a social media app. So I don't know exactly the time, don't quote me on it, but I believe it's after 10 p.m. Mm. You can't access it until about six in the morning or something like that. So throughout the day, you can access it. I think you have a certain number of hours in terms of your limit. Okay. So conceptually speaking, are those good ideas? I, well, the, the, the philosophical debate we get into is the matter of, of control, right? How do you balance something? Because the, the, the counter argument would be, well, that's only possible there because they allow the government to control their, their right. internet and social media and apps and can do that. But yeah, that's, that's another tricky one. You've, you've it's a tricky up. one because I would not advocate for that sort of control. Right. right? But if you, could, if you could translate that control to, on an individual basis, if you could give people the discipline on an yeah. individual basis, appeals to their individuality, that says, I only need two hours on this or whatever the case may be. I'm only going to watch X, Y, and Z because I know it's good for me. Yeah. I know it's productive. If you could translate that to an individual level, do you think that would be a positive thing? Sure. I mean, so, yeah, yeah. Right. Because so conceptually speaking, yes, it's good that you don't spend all night on TikTok. Yeah. It's good that you're watching educational content to actually progress the way that you're thinking about things. Sure. But the way in which the process that that's done, I don't think is the correct way. Right. So right. there, therein lies the issue. Do you think there's a future where, where these tools, things like TikTok and, and sort of drawing back to what I was saying before about content creators and all that, that these things 
they're mostly being used right now to, to sell ads, to, to generate mm-hmm. engagement, to, to be a high volume business turnover, uh, return on investment, you know, is, is there, do you see a future where these tools could be curbed or maybe have a, a their own avenues to be used educationally? I certainly hope so, man. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, what is TikTok and Instagram and Twitter, you know, fill in the blank. What are they selling? What are you buying? Ad space, essentially. And oh, you're not attention. buying Well, you're, you're, you're selling your attention, essentially. You're selling your attention, correct. You're selling your attention. You're selling your time. But you are the product. Right. They're not giving you anything. They're giving you, you know, biased news sources and, you know, X, Y, and Z. Dopamine but hits. Yeah. Anytime you, yeah, that's right. Dopamine hits. Yeah. <laughs> But anytime you're using an application or, you know, a website or whatever the case may be, um, where you're not buying something, you are the product. Yeah. Right. They're competing for your time. They're competing for your energy. They, because they know the more time that they spend, that you spend on their application, the more opportunity they have to try to sell something. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I think a lot of this stuff comes down to money. Unfortunately, I, I, I hate, I hate it, but you know, it's part of, part of where we're at and part of the, the process here. It's all money. Yeah. Um, targeting ads, it's about money. It's about selling space, about selling things. And podcasting, it's all about dynamic ad insertion now is what they always start talking about. Dynamic here, so. ad insertion. It's an, I know you like that. Is What a nice wordy straight out of a PR firm term that is. <laughs> so what does that mean? Like scatter some ads throughout the whole thing? It, yeah. What you would do is say for an insight for listeners about a, being a podcaster is that what you can do is you can, like I, when I record this episode, I will find a midpoint of our interview where it's a good time for a break. And I will insert of my own accord, a couple of other podcasters ads because right. I sent them to me and I want to support people who are like me. But what I could do is I could, put a point in my recording and say more with Carlo after the break, blah, 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 blah. And there's nothing in the audio file, but I would mark it as a timestamp and say, put it in the dynamic ad insertion. And then what it will do is it'll automatically put an ad at that point of your audio file and split it run the ad and then pick up where it left off right after it's supposed to be you could listen to an episode 10 years from now and you'll get a new ad with, okay. It's, it's so advertising. It's a way to make advertising constantly relevant and up to the minute. Dynamic. Dynamic is the word. Yeah. (laughs) 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 So the last, the last little area I want to touch on before, before we finish up here is, is coaching football. I want to know, you know, sort of the same stuff that we've been touching on so far, two years, COVID is now, you know, working its way out again, you know, it, is there, has there been any challenges for you in keeping, keeping your students and keeping players engaged and, and enthusiastic about it? Has that been, has been easy for you to, to get them excited again? This is, this is going to come as a bit of a surprise to you, but there has been no issues getting kids motivated and engaged to play sports right now. <laughs> in this province, I read something, I think it's within a certain time period. I don't really know the whole thing. I mean, maybe five, 10 years. This is the most amount of kids, the highest enrollment of kids in football in this province in the past like little while. Wow. So there are a ton of kids who are interested in playing football specifically. Um, I, I'm, I would, considering that number, I would also assume that they're just ready to play sports in general. Yeah. Um, just because it's been taken away from them for so long, <clears throat> the community aspect was taken away and the competitive aspect was taken away. So, yeah. no, I have many, many kids on the roster. It's almost, uh, it's becoming a bit uh, tougher to manage that many kids. Right. Um, so no, there's been no problem with engagement or enthusiasm. They're, they're ready to go. And, you know, maybe I'm asking for an obvious answer here, but you know, how, how important are organized sports? I mean, from, from your perspective as somebody who is both coach and educator, how are sports so important at that age for, for young people? Oh, man. Well, I mean, on an individual level, it gives them an opportunity to uh, exercise and exert themselves and compete. I think that there are some inherent lessons in competition. It might be a secondary thing, but uh, primarily speaking, like they have the opportunity to go up and get exercise. 
Yeah. I think, um, again, going back to the early days when we were all online, kind of didn't know what was going on with this pandemic and stuff. Yeah. Um, I would have kids connect with me and playing, you know, 14, 16 hours of video games a day. Yeah. Just not moving, just not yeah. moving, right? Nothing against video games, but like, you got to get out <laughs> and move. You got to get out and move, right? Your body's designed to move. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of really took a toll on, I think, a number of kids that uh, were susceptible to to that kind of idea and just sit around and do nothing. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it really took away the opportunity for that. But, uh, you know, a little bit more in depth, I think it took away the opportunity to compete. And I think competition is important. I teach boys. So um, I'm speaking in terms of uh, an all boys sort of right. uh, mentality here, but um yeah i think it's important for them to understand uh the ideas of competition and you know the how to manage winning how to manage losing uh the importance of both of those things um you know i think there's a lesson in the fact that they lost yeah. the opportunity to play right yeah. and now that you have that opportunity back it's really important you don't lose that again i remember when we were playing it was about injuries right it's injuries like, yeah. Any any play during practice, during a game, this game could be taken away from you. So yeah. you want to make the most of it. Um, and I think that's, uh, I mean, considering the numbers for football right now is very, very high, which is very promising. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I, I really think they're motivated behind that. Have you seen it? Have you seen a bit of a change in attitude maybe after these two years? Or, or again, like, are they? Are... Change in attitude. They're all hitting the gritty. That's what they're doing. <laughs> Oh, no, that's, that's the attitude change. You got a new dance move. Okay. It's all that TikTok they've been filling in. They've right. got a, the backlog of touchdown celebrations. Eh? That's know. right. Filling the feet up, man. You give you give them a little gritty of your own sometimes? Do they force you? or? Uh, yeah, maybe maybe uh, maybe towards the end of the season. We'll see what happens. I got to practice my gritty. I was going to say, I might, I'm gonna, a couple months from now, I'm going to see you. I'm going to ask you to show me what you got, you know? you Can, can you gritty? Okay. <laughs> I can't do, I can't dance for shit. So, you know, <laughs> we have a few drinks. I might, I might give it a might go. Hit the gritty. I'll see what I can do. You know what see I mean? I'll see you in June. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, Carlo try to do a uh, longtime friend, man. I, I so appreciate you coming back and being the, the first returning guest on assorted goods. You're the, you're the current leader on, on the leaderboard. So wow. again, I appreciate you brother. You know, it's always good to chat. It's always good to, to chop it up with you and, and share ideas, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, man. Well, that's all for this episode of Assorted Goods. Thank you so much for listening. Carlo and I go way back, so it's really cool to be able to do something like this now. And he always challenges me to think harder. And it's been even cooler to see him grow into the professional he's become in this field over the years. I hope you learned something and got some insight out of this casual chat we had as well. I'll be sure to post a link to Carlo's blog in the show notes and in the episode description. If you're a fan of what I do here on Assorted Goods, please subscribe to the show on your podcast app and subscribe to the Disinformed Media YouTube channel as well, where Assorted Goods gets published. It all helps the show grow. And if you want to follow the show on the socials, you can follow me and Assorted Goods on Twitter and Instagram. The handle on both platforms is at DisinformedDan. You can also visit the website, disinformed.ca, where you can find those show notes for each episode. And if you want to email the show, you can reach me through the contact page on disinformed.ca or just make it easy and shoot me an email at dan at disinformed.ca. The music for this episode was created and produced by my talented brother, David Felton. Thank you as always, brother. And thank you again for listening. Take care of each other out there. And I'll catch you all next time here on Assorted Goods.